And welcome to the Deep Dive Radio Show. As always, I'm your host, Nick Espinoza, and we're going to be talking about all things cybersecurity, cyber warfare, and technology related. And I think we're one of the only ones out there that's doing that right now. If you'd like to be part of the radio show in any way, shape, or form, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Nick AESP. Again, that's Nick AESP. Or you can send us an email to questions at securityfanatics.com. We have an action-packed show as always. There's always a lot to cover, so stick around with us as we deep dive into a topic and we catch up on everything else. So without further ado, let's begin. And this week's show is kind of near and dear to my heart. Delete TikTok now. I'm calling on both Apple and Google to remove TikTok as soon as humanly possible. We're going to dive into that because this has been one of the most egregious data mining and surveillance apps for a foreign state we have ever had on U.S. soil, and we need to address this. Do not miss this. As always, we'll start with the news, but please stick around for the deep dive, and let's get going. And in future news, we now have to deal with a baby Terminator, so that's great. Now, I swear I think I'm the only one only one that has ever seen Terminator or Terminator 2 or any of these. I think I single-handedly kept James Cameron in business in the 1980s, 90s, and beyond because honestly, what are we doing here, people? And I swear, I swear I'm the only one that has seen this movie. Now, this is coming from Analytics Insight and it is both interesting and terrifying. The University of California Berkeley uh, researchers there have built a unique robot, one that actually taught itself how to walk. This robot dog basically was waving its legs in the air like an exasperated beetle and after about 10 minutes of struggling or so it managed to actually roll over to its front now this research is remarkable as this robot this four-legged device that kind of looks like a mechanical puppy and you can go see it for yourself it actually learned to walk by itself without being shown any simulations to instruct it beforehand furthermore inaccuracies in the world's models these robots use are very damaging to their performance and constructing reliable world models takes a lot of time and data meaning this is a breakthrough in that teaching this thing it was able to teach itself you didn't have to teach it ahead of time researchers used an ai technique called reinforcement learning which trains algorithms by rewarding them for desired actions. So to train the robot dog to walk from scratch into the real world is something that essentially um, reinforcement learning does. Now, the robot dog is taking its first clumsy steps like a modern calf. But after one hour, the robot was basically strutting around the lab with confidence, probably looking for Sarah Connor. Now, the common approach in training robots is to use computer simulations to let them grasp the basics of whatever they are doing before making them attempt the same tasks in the real world world you learn by training i mean think about an actual human baby you know as it's learning to walk it's it's watching you walk it's understanding it needs to be upright uh you know in order to walk or you know if you're going to juggle a ball you can watch somebody juggle a ball and attempt to learn it what they're talking about is essentially making it figure it out on its own without giving it any kind of training and so with reinforcement learning engineers just need to specify in their code which behaviors are good and thus rewarded and which behaviors are undesirable and using this approach, the team successfully trained three other robots to perform different tasks, such as picking up balls and moving them between trays, stuff like that. A new generation of reinforcement learning algorithms could pick up on the real workings of, you know, anything pretty much super quickly. The problem that I've got with this is we have to have standards 
for basically ethical operation, meaning if you are teaching this thing, and we just recently saw um, a Russian distributor of Boston Robotics, you know, you, you can watch those dogs strap a machine gun and a targeting system to a Boston Dynamics robot dog, and this thing was literally running around the range just shooting at stuff. That has no emotion. It's not going to basically differentiate between a five-year-old and a 50-year-old. It just sees a human target that it's going to take out. We need to make sure that we are we are putting in ethical safeguards and as artificial intelligence continues to grow and learn and actually create new things that no human had ever thought of. You can look at the Bob, Alice and Eve experiments from um, Google on encryption where the Google engineers were saying nobody in a million years would have thought of doing encryption in this way that these three interconnected AIs were doing it. This is what we're talking about here. At some point. Somebody's got to look at this and say, how are we not creating Terminators at this point? How are we ensuring that, you know, we're not building a Skynet that's essentially going to nuke us when it deems us to be, you know, uh, undesirable or the antithesis of its programming? These are things that we really need to discuss. So I, I glibly say, like, I'm the only one that's seen Terminator, but there are real world consequences. And by virtue of that, you could probably call James Cameron a prophet. You know, in that sense. So there you go. That is your Terminator slash future news slash AI slash at some point we're going to be shooting at these things from burned out bunkers after Judgment Day news of the week. And in Facebook news, and I swear to God, this could have been the deep dive this week, too. Facebook is about to get even worse with disinformation. Here's what's going on. This is coming from Axios, and this is actually kind of annoying and scary. Now, here's what's up. Meta, about a week ago or so, began telling its news partners in the United States that the company no longer plans to pay publishers for their content to run on Facebook's news tab. Now, here's why this matters. As the company moves forward with sweeping changes to the Facebook experience, news has become less of a priority for the company. And if you've been following Mark Zuckerberg, he seems like he has dropped absolutely everything in his life to focus on the metaverse, but I digress. Now, Meta's VP of Media Partnerships, Campbell Brown, told staffers that the company was shifting resources away from its news products to support more creative initiatives, and that's according to the Wall Street Journal. Now, if you didn't know, Facebook brokered a slew of three-year deals with publishers in 2019. Obviously, that's three years ago. At the time, the company was ramping up its investment in news and hired journalists to help direct publisher traffic to its new tab for news. Now, the deals were worth roughly $105 million in the United States, according to Axios. Um, In addition to that, the company spent around $90 million on news videos uh, for the company's video tab called Watch. Now, a a Facebook, I can't speak today, a Facebook spokesperson told Axios, and I quote, A lot has changed since we signed deals three years ago to test bringing additional news links to Facebook news in the U.S. Most people do not come to Facebook for news, and as a business, it doesn't make sense to overinvest in areas that don't align with user preferences. Now, the $105 million spent on additional news content for the news tab was for incremental links. News companies could still publish content to Facebook at will. They're just not going to get incentivized or prioritized to do it. Although hundreds of news publishers are still eligible to have their content included in the news tab, the funding to roughly 50 publishers for their content will not be renewed. Meta, if you didn't know, spent more than $10 million on its news partnership with the Wall Street Journal, more than $3 million with CNN, more than $20 million with the New York Times. And in some cases, the partnerships also unlock paywalled content, meaning you wanted to read that New York Times article, it would be unlocked for you if you went through it through Facebook as opposed to just going to NewYorkTimes.com unless you were paying for New York Times subscription. 
Now, Facebook is already rampant with disinformation, as I've, and I've previously reported on that. They also cut funding for staff for their election watchers, which is basically an open invitation for the world's foreign intelligence communities to start slamming the United States with even more disinformation. We saw that absolutely explode in 2016. We've saw that rampant in 2018 and 2020 and all of that. Facebook has paid, I think, personally, in my opinion, lip service uh, to the entire disinformation campaign, only doing the most cursory things because, quite frankly, they're more about money than anything else. The only counterweight, the only counterweight to the onslaught of this because their whole like, oh, this might be disinformation, click here or see legitimate sources, and then everybody that posted it because of confirmation bias was like, well, screw you, Facebook. I'm not doing that. So the only real counterweight that we had to this onslaught of disinformation was actual legitimate news sources. And by cutting their funding, when they pull out or or disincentivize posting on Facebook, all we're going to be left with is your crazy cousin or uncle posting everything that they ate throughout the day, about a billion different cat videos, TikTok videos reposted to Facebook, and basically every crazy uncle you've got everywhere becoming a primary news source for their entire friends list. That terrifies the bejesus out of me because people do not research. It is a huge thing. Social media is ruining society. I really believe this, and I think that Zuckerberg has a duty to actually give a damn about this and try to do something uh, about this situation. But since that's not going to happen, it's time once again for me to say that it's time to put Mark Zuckerberg in jail. And that is your unfortunate Facebook news of the week. And I will probably do a deep dive on this one at some point because my God, just, I, I just, this company, I can't stand them. And so there you go. And in remote work news, we are all damaging our eyes working from home. Ta-da! Now, this is coming from Fast Company, and I think this is actually an important one. So, heads up there, because obviously we have moved at breakneck speed since the pandemic to all work remote, work from home. And while people are coming back into the offices, there are millions of us now that are going to basically be permanently working remote or from home for the foreseeable future. And so, this is an important one, because All About Vision, a website devoted to eye care, conducted a survey of 1,000 Americans a third of whom worked hybrid, a third of whom worked remotely, and a third who worked in person in the office. And they found that on average, 68% of remote workers said that they noticed new eye problems since working from home. On average, remote workers spend about 13 hours a day on screen compared to on-site employees who only spend an hour. That extra two hours obviously is adding up. Now, in addition, a quarter of remote workers say they feel unable to step away from their screens because of work pressure. The study recommended, though, the following things to protect your vision. So if you're working from home, heads up to you. The first one is kind of ridiculous, but it is valid advice. And the first one is whenever possible, avoid screens. If you have pressure and can't step away or you are remoting into work and you are working on a computer, I have no idea how you do that. But but the second piece of advice kind of kind of explains it. If you can't, take frequent breaks, especially if you're spending long stretches looking at a screen that is 24 inches away or closer. And if I'm doing the math, I'm usually about two feet or so from my screens, although I tend to have larger screens uh, you know, in my home office. The 20-20-20 rule means that basically 20 second breaks every 20 minutes to look at an object 20 feet away. So get out of your uh, get out of your thing, take a look out the window, whatever that is. You know, just kind of adjust your eyes, keep them going. Don't stare at one screen for over and over and over without taking those breaks. Also, you can use blue light blocking glasses. This is an interesting one as well because that will filter out a lot of those uh, 
uh, light that will actually over time damage or disrupt sleep. It's the same reason why if you have like a blue light uh, in your bedroom at night, uh, it can actually be disrupting the sleep as even though you're asleep, your eyes are still sensing that light. So blue blockers makes a lot of sense. Gaming glasses oftentimes will have those things. Also turning on night mode for your devices and don't use them immediately before bedtime. Oftentimes you've got the lights off, you've got this super bright you know, iPhone or Android or whatever you're running. And, and so obviously that can be a huge problem. I personally turn on dark mode um, whenever I can, wherever I can, because I just find it makes my, it's better for my eyes. And those few times when like, let's say I get into an app and it's an all white screen, it's like, oh, this, it's like blinding. Um, so you can do that as well. Um, most major browsers, web browsers now have dark mode options. Uh, so even if you're sitting, let's say at a computer like Windows or Mac or whatever, you can put those browsers into dark mode. My, my background on my computer is, interestingly enough, a black screen. Um, and then I try to use dark mode whenever I can because uh, if you've ever seen a picture of me, you'll know that I'm wearing glasses. And I've been wearing glasses since like junior high. They're not going away till the day I die. So there you go. Those are some easy tips for those that are working from home. Make sure you're taking care of your eyes just like you're taking care of your regular health. And let's keep moving. And before we head over to the next segment, I wanted to let you know, and I've done this in a couple of shows, and I keep being reminded to do this, and I always forget. Uh, basically, if you didn't know, I put out content on a daily basis, not just here on the radio where you're listening to me, but actually I put it quite a lot of places, daily podcasts and videos on some of the latest trends, technology, cybersecurity, privacy, all these kinds of things I keep day to day. And some of the segments that I do for my news section or even my breaches of the week every Sunday gets translated into this show. But I do this as essentially a labor of love. You know, I don't have any kind of monetization anywhere. I just do it to keep people informed and to keep everybody interested. But you can find me uh, basically on Twitter or Facebook at slash Nick AESP or on LinkedIn and YouTube at slash Nick Espinoza. And please, Follow me. I'd love to hear. I'd love to basically get a shout out from you and, and you know, send me a message or whatever it is. Uh, but I do content daily and I hope you guys enjoy it. And so that is my quick blurb. And you're listening to Nick Espinosa, the Deep Dive Radio Show, a syndicated radio show here in podcast form on SoundCloud. And make sure to check your local listings so you can catch it on a radio station near you. And now for breaches of the week. And if you have a data breach to report that's local to you or the major news might have missed it, please, by all means, send it to me, and I'm glad to give you a shout-out and include it in the radio show and possibly a daily video. Uh, and you can find me on Twitter and uh, Facebook at Nick AESP. Again, that's Nick AESP. Or you can uh, email questions at securityfanatics.com. Again, that's questions at securityfanatics.com. And I'm more than happy to include your data breach and give you a shout-out on the air. With that, let's begin. And the last couple of weeks in data breaches has just been off the rails. But before we begin, I'd like to thank the following people that sent me a ton of these. And there's a lot of them in the last couple of weeks. So please keep it up and please keep sending those. And so thank you very much to Jay Dance, Barrett Peterson, Paul Hernandez, Steve Bethel, Erica Strando, Sanders Slidnerink, and Andy Warson. Guys, thank you so very much. Keep it coming. And with that, Let's start with T-Mobile, the large carrier here in the United States, because I've got an update on their large breach from last year. T-Mobile has agreed to a settlement totaling $500 million in a class action lawsuit filed by customers after T-Mobile disclosed uh, uh, basically last year, August, that sensitive data had been breached in 2021 due to a cyber attack. Now, 
In a court filing about a week and a half ago or so, the mobile phone giant said that it would pay $350 million to settle customer claims and then spend $150 million over the next few years to basically improve its cybersecurity protection and technologies. This breach, if you didn't know, uh, basically affected 76.6 million people in the United States, according to T-Mobile, exposed highly sensitive data, including customers' first and last names, social security numbers, driver's license information, et cetera, et cetera. So if you're a T-Mobile user or subscriber, you may soon be entitled to compensation. Moving on. Let's talk about the up, an update on the massive California concealed carry leak. I talked about that on my last show. Uh, here's what's going on. An attorney in California, Brian Hanneman, is now suing California Attorney General Bob, excuse me, Rob Bonta after a leak exposed the contents of a state database of concealed carry weapon uh, weapons permit holders' personal data. Now, this is on behalf of four clients of his. In this lawsuit, Mr. Hanneman says that Mr. Bonta violated his client's Second Amendment rights to keep and bear arms, including through the chilling effect that applying for a concealed carry permit uh, in the future may lead to personal data being revealed to criminals and the public. Their Fourth Amendment rights to privacy, California's constitutional rights to privacy, and California's Information Practices Act of 1977, which limits the government's use of personal data. He's seeking compensatory damages and a declaration that the state collecting this information violates both federal and state law. And we were kind of expecting these things. Obviously, this is a hot-button issue, gun rights uh, here in the United States, California obviously being more on the liberal side of that. Nevertheless, having this kind of information exposed is a huge, huge deal. So we're going to see where this goes. I'll obviously keep you up to date on that. Moving on, a quick update on Professional Finance Company, uh, or PFC. This is one of those huge healthcare ones where a whole bunch of healthcare uh, facilities now have to essentially declare. And so in the last couple of weeks, the Shields Healthcare group declared a data breach because they were using professional finance company for their health care. I believe they are a debt collection company needs. Moving on. Let's talk about Lawson products. And if I recall, I think Lawson actually makes like barbecue sauce. I want to say that's true. Don't quote me on that, though. Anyway, Lawson confirmed that the company experienced a data breach after an unauthorized party gained access to sensitive consumer data contained on their network. According to Lawson products, the breach resulted basically in the following being compromised names, address, social security numbers, driver's license numbers, state issue IDs, passports, as well as financial account information and medical information as well. To me, that seems like it might be focusing more on Lawson Products employees as opposed to their customers, but there you go. So heads up to you if you have anything to do with Lawson Products, other than, I'm guessing, buying their barbecue sauce at your local supermarket. Moving on, let's talk about the fast food restaurant chain Sonic, because the owners of Sonic restaurants have agreed to pay up to $5.73 million as part of a settlement uh, resolving claims from financial institutions that a 2017 data breach forced financial institutions to issue new payment cards to their customers. That's right. The law takes a while. Here we are, five years plus. Now, consumers from American Airlines Federal Credit Union, Redstone Federal Credit Union, and Arkansas Federal Credit Union, whose cards were affected by this breach, are now eligible to essentially receive one of the following. So if you are a member of any one of those credit unions, heads up to you, because you might be entitled to, drumroll please... One dollar for each payment card reissued in light of that breach and possibly one dollar and fifty cents 
for each payment card that experienced fraud during that four-week window when those uh, cards were placed on alert but not not yet replaced. Class members who submit valid claim forms will be eligible to receive payments from the remaining three million. So there you go. You can get a shiny dollar or two from Sonic for having your payment card breached. Outstanding. Moving on. Let's talk about Neopets. This is an uh, an app, a game online, if you will, on your phone. Quote, unquote, or I should say, quote, Neopets recently became aware that customer data may have been stolen. So it appears that email addresses and passwords used to access Neopets accounts may have been affected. Obviously, they are recommending that you change your password. If you're using that password elsewhere, which you shouldn't, change it wherever you're using it. So heads up to you, all you Neopets players. Moving on. Let's talk about building materials giant Nauf out of Germany. This is actually kind of an important one because the Nauf group has announced that they were the target of a cyber attack that disrupted their global business operations, forcing their global IT teams to shut down their infrastructure. Now, this attack took place um, on the night of June 29th, and as of July 19th, Nauf is still in the process of forensic investigations, incident response, etc. A ransomware gang known as Black Basta basically claimed responsibility for this and started leaking out their information. This is huge because they have about 80% of some material, the corner of the market, with about 80% of some of the materials for building coming from them. If they are shut down, we may see construction projects grind to a halt as they are waiting to get their materials from now. Moving on, let's talk about Frederick, Colorado, because the police department of Frederick said they're investigating claims that the town government was hit with a ransomware attack. About a week ago or so, the Lockbit ransomware group uh, essentially added Frederick, Colorado to its list of victims. Frederick, Colorado has about 15,000 residents, and the spokesperson for the town said that it had received a notification uh, basically of the ransomware attack, meaning they got a ransomware note. And small towns, as I've mentioned, I don't care where they are in the world, tend to not have the money to spend on better defensive strategies. And so they are very low-hanging fruit, very easy target for ransomware gangs. And to really reinforce that point, we can talk about the Canadian town of St. Mary's in Ontario. Lockbit hit them. They have 7,500 residents. And now they are also in the process of being ransomed. So there you go. Moving on. I want to give you an update on Wawa. This is that East Coast supermarket chain. They've agreed to pay $8 million to end an investigation into their 2019 data breach that affected about 34 million credit cards used at their convenience stores and gas stations. And according to recent statements from two states' attorney co-leading this probe, they are basically settling this and we're going to talk about distribution of money. So heads up, Wawa customers, if you were affected by that 2019 breach, you may also be entitled to compensation. Hopefully it's more than a dollar. Moving on, let's talk about Paytm Mall, and this is actually a, a really interesting one. Troy Hunt, who is the founder of Have I Been Pwned, that's a platform that you can essentially go and punch in your email address and it will tell you what data breaches you're caught into. Anyway, uh, Troy Hunt basically... Um, and the platform, they had earlier claimed that the data, a data breach had occurred at Paytm Mall in 2020, but now they've revealed after a chat with Paytm's team that it didn't originate from Paytm, that this was actually fabricated, meaning Paytm does not appear to have been hit, even though the world claimed that they were, and have I been pwned, had them as one of those that were. And to quote Troy Hunt's tweet directly, an update on this breach. 
After loading it into Have I Been Pwned, the head of Paytm's InfoSec team reached out and we had a chat about the authenticity of the data, which they believe did not originate from them. We now collectively believe it's fabricated. Now, Paytm is one of the largest wallet and payment services platforms, and they reportedly suffered a massive breach in 2020. Now, while the company has not accepted that position, they reportedly did receive a ransom demand after that breach. So we don't know what's going on necessarily. You know, did somebody aggregate a whole bunch of Paytm uh, customer information and put it out as ATM without breaching them? We don't necessarily know. But have I been pwned reversing their decision to have a pay Paytm be one of those lists of victims with that information? So we're going to see where this goes. That is very interesting. Moving on. Let's talk about K Smith. They're apparently a financial vendor for healthcare outfits, and this is breaches of the week, uh, healthcare, uh, basically supply chain crisis edition, as you're about to see. But we'll start with K Smith because they had a breach that happened in late May, and it impacted customers that were billed in May of this year. Now they discovered uh, basically the breach in June and started notifying customers in July. Now healthcare systems are now having to declare, obviously, data breaches given this information. <laughs> But a lot of them don't, uh, we don't necessarily know uh, what information they've got. However, St. Luke's Health System in Idaho had to declare a breach and they said that essentially they had patient name, insured name, address, phone number, ID number, date of birth, last five digits of social security, description of services, amount billed, outstanding balance, payment due, and status of account all hit. Thanks to Case Smith, St. Luke's in Idaho has 31,573 patients caught up in this. We are probably going to see more declarations thanks to Case Smith's data breach, but we are not done with healthcare data breaches of supply chain. The next one is One Touch Point out of Wisconsin. This is another supply chain breach that's affecting at least 30 healthcare firms. They got hit with ransomware. There's a compromise of personally identifiable information and personal health information, <clears throat> including names, addresses, birth dates, dates of service, description of service, diagnosis codes, information provided as part of health assessments and member IDs. And for one specific customer, meaning one health system, social security numbers were also compromised. So I'm not sure of these 30 plus healthcare firms out there. There is a list online, but in the interest of time, I'm, I can't go through them because we have yet another massive breach. So heads up to you if your local system, a healthcare system uses one touch point. Uh, you can find that line online. Uh, the next one is LifeWorks USA, and this is yet another healthcare supply chain breach because on May 17th of this year, a now former LifeWorks employee emailed spreadsheets containing identifiable information to their personal email address and copied the personal email address of another former LifeWorks employees. That's all it takes, folks. And so now by virtue of that, Blue Cross Blue Shield of Massachusetts began notifying 4,855 patients as well as Blue Cross Blue Shield of Massachusetts HMO Blue. We will see more by virtue of this probably come on out. With that, let's go on to our next healthcare supply chain breach, and healthcare is always the one that gets hit the hardest, followed by things like construction and government and all those kinds of things, but healthcare is always the worst. Now we're talking about Avamir Holdings in Oregon between January 19th and March 17th of this year, an unauthorized individual gained access to the basically infrastructure that they were using. We are talking about 96 senior living and healthcare facilities across the states of Oregon, Washington, Nevada, Utah, Colorado, and Arizona being affected. So if you're 
healthcare facility, your senior living and healthcare facility is part of Avamir Holding in some way, shape, or form, you definitely want to check in. <clears throat> Moving on. Let's talk about the city of Plainfield, New Jersey, because an assistant at the municipal clerk's office deleted confidential documents and files, as well as borough incoming and outgoing emails. But before doing so, he placed them on a personal flash drive, according to a letter sent to residents who may have been affected by this data breach. Now, borough officials uh, discovered the breach in February, but did not notify the affected residents until uh, July. Obviously, that's a huge problem for the residents of South Plainfield. Now, the assistant left the borough's employment on February 18th of this year, and during his four-plus years in his position, he was entrusted with confidential documents. According to the letter, he admitted to destroying birth marriage and death certificates along with driver's license and passport information which contain highly confidential data including social security numbers he also deleted as i mentioned borough incoming and outgoing emails and my god can you think about like having to go to like the clerk's office in south plainfield and be like yeah i need a copy of like my birth certificate or my marriage certificate or something like that or you know my dad just died i need his death certificate and they don't have them like this is the official registry and they're gone because of an insider threat. I'm guessing a disgruntled employee. Because why on earth would he? Why on, uh, you know, why else would he do this? That's absolutely insane. So good luck, uh, residents of South Plainfield, New Jersey. If you're listening to this, I hope your records are intact. I also hope you weren't born, married, or had somebody die in South Plainfield. I hope you were somewhere else. Moving on, let's talk about digital marketing platform Wordfly. They're used heavily in the arts community as well as well as by various sports teams. They were down for at least. 17 days as of about late July, like July 27th or so. I'm hoping they're no longer down, but they've been, they were down for at least 17 days due to a ransomware attack. And by virtue of that, so far, the Cleveland Museum of Art, the Smithsonian, as well as the Toronto Symphony Orchestra or TSO in Canada have declared data breaches. Now, they did not put out essentially what was taken in this data breach, but the TSO or Toronto Symphony Orchestra did in their disclosure, and it gives us insight to the level of info at play here. And so according to the TSO, they had names, email addresses, TSO patron IDs, and information about the TSO account or your TSO account. It may also include personal inf uh, information. Certain patrons have volunteered to the TSO when responding to a survey, such as, a demog such as demographic information and opinions on the TSO. So heads up to you. If you're a patron of the art or various uh, websites where you're giving information up to sports teams or uh, the arts community, you may be caught up in Wordfly. Hopefully, they're back on their feet now. Moving on, let's talk about the quote-unquote secure messaging app, Just Talk. The Just Talk messaging app has just been found to store messages that it's sent by its users in an unencrypted state after these messages were leaked in a report by TechCrunch with help of uh, with with help from I should say security researcher um, Anurag Sen claims that the company behind Just Talk uh, basically or, or I should say they claim that their app was end to end encrypted and they essentially that essentially was proven false meaning Just Talk was saying oh everything's encrypted it's on your phone, it's encrypted over the internet, the recipient, it's encrypted. If we're storing it in our servers as we're sending it, it's encrypted. That is false. 
basically these got leaked unencrypted that is a huge problem a huge internal data cache uh, included not just millions of messages by users of the app but also the timestamps as well as the phone numbers of the messages of, of who they were sent to and who they received by the data also extended to call records as well so if you're using just talk thinking it is secure and private it is absolutely not it is time to switch to Signal. Moving on, let's talk about the American Dental Association because the ADA recently began notifying state regulators that a quote-unquote cybersecurity incident that it reported in April actually was a ransomware attack which led to the theft of member data. On April 23rd, the ADA first reported to its members that a cybersecurity incident was causing technical issues and other disruptions um, basically for some of its clients, including both the Texas and New York Dental Association. So heads up to you, if you're a member of the ADA in some way, shape, or form, all you dentists out there, you might want to check in. You might have had your personal information hit by your governing body. Moving on. Let's talk about Twitter because as many as 5.4, excuse me, 5.4 million Twitter users have had their personal details exposed in a massive data breach. Now, the case of personal details stolen from Twitter is selling on a hacker forum and the asking price is currently $30,000 US. Twitter confirmed the breach explaining that attackers exploited a vulnerability uh, from December of 2021. The data reportedly includes the names, phone numbers, and email addresses of 5.4 million users, some of which include celebrities and official company accounts. So, Heads up to you, if you use Twitter, you may be notified of uh, by them if you are caught up in that massive database. And finally, and we have a couple of finalies for you, the first one we're going to talk about is digital security giant Trust. They are one of the major players uh, in the cybersecurity world, and this is obviously not good. Now, if you didn't know, Trust is a security firm that it focuses on online trust and identity management. They offer a wide range of services, including encrypted communication, secure digital uh, payments, ID issuance solutions, all those kinds of things. And they just confirmed that they suffered a cyber attack where the threat actors breached their network and stole data from internal systems. Now, depending on what data was stolen, this attack could obviously impact a huge number of critical and sensitive organizations who use Intrust for identity management and authentication. This includes U.S. government agencies such as the Department of Energy, Homeland Security, Treasury, Health and Human Services, Veteran Affairs, Agriculture, and on and on and on. Intrust is a major player in this space. And I quote, while our investigation is ongoing, we have found no indication to date that the issue has affected the operation or security of our products and services, which which are run in separate air-gapped environments from our internal systems and are fully operational. Now, to be clear, air-gapping essentially means that one system cannot talk to another system. So if they had, let's say, their internal logistics and accounting system hit that accounting system, there would be no physical way for, for an attacker to get onto that accounting system and then route into the infrastructure that Entrust has on a completely separate and isolated network. That, I hope, is absolutely true because if we find out that the actual authentication IDs and stuff uh, that, that essentially Entrust were giving out to every 
major department in the United States, apparently, federal agency, if those are compromised, then essentially anybody could log right into the secure systems across the board. I mean, imagine allowing, you know, foreign intelligence hackers just right into Homeland Security or Treasury. I mean, that's absolutely not, not to mention Department of Energy. They run the nuclear stockpile. So there you go. Obviously, a huge problem. We'll see where that goes. I will definitely keep you up to date on Intrust as they release more information. And another finally we have for you, and this is also terrifying at the government level, is actually the United States federal court system. This is a huge and very scary data breach as well. The Justice Department is investigating a data breach of the U.S. federal court system dating to early 2020, and that is according to a top official that just testified on Capitol Hill like a week ago. And I remind you, we're in the beginning of August of 2022, so we are talking about over two years that where this happened. Now, here's what happened. The U.S. court system put out a statement in January of 2021 acknowledging that its case management slash electric case file system, known as CMECF, had been compromised as a part of a massive data breach. As a result of that, procedures for filing highly sensitive documents were changed so that they could only be handed in via paper documents, a secure electronic device, or through a secure computer system. That indicates to us this breach was deep and very damaging if they had to go to that level. Now, a scary scenario for the judicial branch is simply this. House Judiciary Committee Chair Jerry Nadler, he's a Democrat from New York, told his fellow lawmakers that, quote, three hostile foreign actors, end quote, attacked the U.S. court's document system, a filing system, as part of a security breach in early 2020, causing a, quote, system security failure. Now, the comment at a committee hearing uh, on oversight of the Justice Department's National Security Division were the first public disclosures of this hack, meaning while the U.S. government knew and investigating this, we all learned at the end of July. Now, Representative Nadler also said, the committee learned in March about the, quote, startling breadth and scope, end quote, of the breach, which was actually separate from the SolarWinds hack that was in late 2020. That was entirely different, SolarWinds obviously being one of the most deep and damaging hacks that we have seen against the U.S. federal government and other national governments and Fortune 100 companies. I mean, it was a complete and utter mess what SolarWinds was. Now, if you don't, if you recall, SolarWinds involved Russian government-backed hackers infiltrating the networks, as I I mentioned of over a dozen federal agencies for much of 2020, and so that was a huge thing. Now, Assistant Attorney General for National Security Matthew Olson testified to the committee that the NSD is, quote, working very closely with the judicial conference and judges around the country to address this issue, end quote. He also committed to updating the committee on the investigation as it progressed. Now, this obviously has a wider impact. The committee aide said that Representative Nadler's questions came after the committee received a briefing on the attack, noting that, quote, the sweeping impact it may have had on the operation of the Department of Justice is staggering. Now, obviously, that that aide talking off the record, or I'm excuse me, granted anonymity to talk on the record, because obviously this is an ongoing investigation. And that is a massive, massive problem. So many court proceedings 
are sealed or or not or or obfuscated for protection and legal purposes. So uh, think about it this way: when you have a whole bunch of accusers going up and pointing fingers at you know people like uh, Jeffrey Epstein or Bill Cosby or R. Kelly or any one of those, and the reason why I'm I'm bringing this one the, these individuals up is because oftentimes you may have defend or you may have accusers that are trying to obfuscate their identities not from the court but from the general public, meaning the court record might have the 30 accusers or however many it was for Bill Cosby, but not all of them are publicly known by choice, even though they are known in court as Bill Cosby or any one of these guys has a right to face their accusers. And so I say that to say that if something like this gets out and the foreign government has these kinds of things, not to mention sealed proceedings uh, that could involve, let's say, members of the government, this could involve CEOs that have been sued for whatever reason and the documents are sealed due to agreements, if that stuff gets out, it is potentially damaging to the fabric of the legal system here in the United States. That is a terrifying prospect. And so by virtue of that, that is the last thing I'm talking about in breaches of the week. I do want you to sleep at night. There's no going Amish on my watch. But we have to make sure that as we are using technology, we are marrying it with cybersecurity. And if you're here in the United States, we're just going to say you're affected. So there you go. Those were your breaches of the week. Make sure you're staying secure out there. And you're listening to Nick Espinosa, the Deep Dive Radio Show, a syndicated radio show here in podcast form on SoundCloud. And make sure to check your local listings so you can catch it on a radio station near you. And now for the Deep Dive segment where we take a closer and deeper look at a cybersecurity, cyber warfare, or technology issue around us. And if you have any suggestions for a Deep Dive segment or something you'd like me to dive into, you can once again find me on Facebook and Twitter at Nick AESP. Again, that's Nick AESP. Or you can send an email to questions at securityfanatics.com. That's questions at securityfanatics.com. I am more than happy to take a look at it. And uh, if it meets our standards, we are more than happy to do a deep dive on it. So let's begin. And this week's deep dive is actually near and dear to my heart as I have been talking about this app for four plus years, and that is TikTok. And we all need to delete TikTok right now. I am literally, as I mentioned in my opening, calling on both Apple and Google to remove TikTok as soon as humanly possible and to open an investigation about just how bad this is. And I, like I said, I've been warning about TikTok since literally, literally TikTok was originally musical, um, excuse me, musically, and then became TikTok. And we've known since the start that this company had deep ties to the Chinese government. It's a surveillance app. I reported on that two plus years ago. Some new information, though, has come to light that confirms quite a bit of what we have known. But before I basically dive into that, I want to go through all of the problems we have seen over the years with this platform, which is why both Apple and Google should kill it from their platforms. They should have done this years ago, to be perfectly honest. And also, I really want to explain why anyone here in the United States and in other countries should remove it from their phones as soon as possible. Now, to start... ByteDance, uh, the company that owns TikTok, is out of Beijing, China, and basically in 2017, they bought uh, Musical.ly, which was a U.S.-based app, which focused very heavily on lip-syncing to music and was insanely popular with teens and tweens at that time here in the United States. Now, by virtue of owning this, this gave ByteDance instant access to the up-and-coming generations here in the United States, as well as around the globe. And in 2018, Musical.ly was rebranded and reborn 
as TikTok. Now, ByteDance at that time tried to obfuscate its ties to China. They really weren't trying to make this known. TikTok was incorporated in the Cayman Islands, even though it's owned by ByteDance out of Beijing. And they also hired a U.S.-based CEO, Kevin Mayer, to helm this uh, to basically make it look like an American company. But it is anything but, as you're about to find out. Now, one of the issues that TikTok inherited from Musical.ly was that it had an unfortunate and unhealthy population of child predators. Younger teens were doing rather risque things on the platform, so naturally, that's where the predators went as well. This issue, though, or I should say the issue, though, is that TikTok seemed to basically be connecting these adults, mostly males, to these underage girls and boys by suggesting that they should connect to the platform and be like a friend or a connection or whatever TikTok calls it. In one early write-up, a father in his early 30s signed up for TikTok to check it out before letting his young daughter sign up for it, and he was shocked to discover that TikTok immediately started suggesting that he connect to multiple underage girls, many of whom were posting rather risque videos to the platform. Now, this is a problem that still persists today, though TikTok has stated they've been trying to work on this issue or fixing it. In an April 2022 article, meaning this year, April of this year, an article and input, both the Department of Homeland Security and the Department of Justice are investigating TikTok over its handling of illegal child sex abuse material, as well as privacy features that are enabling malicious actors to propagate and share this kind of illicit content content out of their platform and across their platform. So that is what's going on on that side. Now, moving back to the the beginning, we're going to talk now in February of 2019 because TikTok then agreed to pay a $5.7 million fine to settle allegations that they were violating U.S. children's privacy, which the FTC or Federal Trade Commission described as, quote, the largest civil penalty ever obtained by the commission in a children's privacy case. Now, on top of that, the FTC said that TikTok knowingly allowed children under the age of 13 to sign up for accounts on their platform in violation of the US's law, U.S. law known as COPPA or COPPA, that is a Child Online Privacy Protection Act. That is why if you go and sign up for a Facebook account, it asks you, are you 13 years or older? 13 is the minimum age to sign up for an account. What the FTC is saying is that TikTok knew that children 12 and under were also signing up because, quite frankly, parents don't control what their kids do anymore with these kinds of things. And now you've got even more underage kids signing up on this platform that has child predators on it. So that's awesome. Now, by July of 2019, the United Kingdom was also investigating this for UK kids under their own uh, statutory laws as well. So this is obviously a huge thing. That's July of 2019. So let's fast forward to July 7th of 2020. On that day, then U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo said that the United States was considering banning TikTok and warned it puts, quote, your private information in the hands of the Chinese Communist Party. Now, I understand that back in 2020, uh, then-President Trump, obviously sex state Pompeo, et cetera, et cetera, wanted to ban TikTok. For uh, for President Trump, it was obviously a political move for the cybersecurity community. We all applauded him because we're agnostic to politics, but we know it's violating our privacy rights very, very deeply with ties to the, to, again, to, to, to the Chinese government. And we've got evidence of that. 
we're going to keep going here. Because on July 10th, uh, a few days after Secretary of State Mike Pompeo said that, the Democratic National Committee, or DNC, this is the Democrat side of the aisle, cautioned their staffers about actually using it. Meaning, we don't want DNC staffers uh, with TikTok on their phone coming into our buildings, and now suddenly they can basically, the, the Chinese government can potentially start analyzing our network or using it as a hacking device, those kinds of things. What we were starting to see was the recognition nationally at that time of what we in the cybersecurity community had been talking about since TikTok was bought by the Chinese company and brought to market here. That that basically Chinese companies are beholden to the Chinese government who under Chinese law, basically the Chinese government gets access to all information on foreigners' information held by these companies. So when TikTok is collecting an absolute huge amount of data on, let's say, your children, this is basically going to TikTok and the Chinese government gets access to that. And again, we are, we've got evidence of this. So stick around because like I said, this is a huge one. Now the Chinese government has access to TikTok's information. And again, I will remind you that includes tens of millions of underage children. And it gets verifiably worse because in 2020, a cybersecurity researcher reverse engineered TikTok and what he published on a Reddit post was startling. He claimed that he has a strong understanding of how the app works and he stated that it was a data collection service thinly disguised as a social media platform. The app tracks users' phone hardware. That means it tracks CPU type, hardware IDs, memory usage, disk space, etc., it also tracks the apps that you have installed. In addition to all of this, uh, everything network related like IP addresses, MAC addresses, wireless access points, etc. are all monitored thanks to the TikTok app. It's monitored through the TikTok app. It also tracks if your phone is jailbroken or rooted, meaning if you have an iPhone and you've gotten around all of the security controls that Apple has put into place, it can see that as well. Now, some variants of the app also had GPS pinging enabled, meaning the app was sending the user's live location to TikTok every 30 seconds. That option was also auto-enabled if the user added locations to their posts, meaning you've got that video or that you're doing and you're in, I don't know, Los Angeles, you've just tagged yourself in LA, now you've just turned that on for absolutely everything. The app also set up a local proxy server on devices for quote-unquote transcoding media but basically, this was obviously a way to steal user information. The app leaked user email addresses, secondary emails used for password recovery, users' real names and birth dates, and all of that. I mean, it's an insane amount of data, but this gets actually worse. Uh, basically, what happened was a TikTok US-based US executive testified in front of Congress that Chinese-based employees, meaning aka Chinese nationals working for TikTok, did not have access to the US-based side of the app. That ended up being an absolute lie thanks to a whistleblower because according to leaked audio, for more than 80 internal TikTok meetings, Chinese-based employees and China nationals of ByteDance were repeatedly accessing non-public data about U.S. TikTok users. The recordings, which were reviewed by BuzzFeed News, who broke the story, contained 14 statements from nine different TikTok employees indicating that engineers in China had access to U.S. data between September of 2021 and January of 2022, at the very least. And that is just when those meetings were from they've had they've had I would put money on it that they've had access from day 
won and still have access now. And if we had leaked recordings going back to 2018 to through July or August of 2022, I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, they would also indicate exactly what this is. Now, despite TikTok's executive, as I mentioned, sworn testimony in October 2021 that a, quote, world-renowned U.S.-based security team, end quote, decides who gets access to this data, nine statements by eight different employees describe situations where U.S. employees had to turn to their colleagues in China to determine how U.S. data was flowing. U.S. staff did not have permission or knowledge of how to access the data on their own, according to these recordings that BuzzFeed broke. Quote, everything is seen in China, end quote, according to a member of TikTok's trust and security department in a September 2021 meeting. In another September meeting, a director referred to one Beijing-based engineer as a quote-unquote master admin who, quote, has access to everything. While many employees introduced themselves by name and title for the record, BuzzFeed News did not name any of them to protect their privacy. Uh, So basically, this was confirmed by U.S. employees on the record to BuzzFeed News. Now, on top of this, it gets even worse. Because we now have independent confirmation uh, basically from that original researcher. Remember I talked about how they decompiled, deconstructed, we're sending your data to God knows where. Now all of that has been confirmed by a legitimate cybersecurity research team. And that's not to say that the original researcher wasn't legitimate, but now he has backup to his claims in a major way. So here's the latest from July of 2022. The Australian and U.S. cybersecurity firm Internet 2.0 analyzed the source code for TikTok's Android app and iPhone people. You are not off the hook here, and we'll get to that. But basically, when they analyzed the Android app, they found out that this is what the uh, TikTok app was doing. It is collecting the phone's IMEI number, which is basically a specific number that identifies each phone. If you are listening to me and you have a cell phone, I don't care what kind of cell phone is it, you have an IMEI number that is unique to you and your phone and and only your phone on the planet, meaning my IMEI and everybody else listening to this has a different IMEI number. TikTok is grabbing a copy of that and identifying you by your direct IMEI number. It also is checking the user's location at least once each hour. Not 30 seconds like the original one claimed, but it is turning on and it is checking your actual location. It is maintaining constant access to your calendar and your contacts. It can access other apps on your phone. It knows what apps are installed on your phone. It it connects to servers globally, including in China. This is obviously a report coming from Australia, the U.S.-based side. TikTok claims, oh, well, we are only going to uh, servers here in the United States based out of Oracle data centers, and we're also replicating that to Singapore. But that doesn't mean that they can't have back-end access to that. All we see is what leaves our phone and where it goes, but if they're connecting to the data center on the back-end from China, we would never know that in a million years. Now, on top of this, the Apple version, so iPhone users, you are not off the hook, your app is connecting to a server in China that is run by a Chinese security company known as Guichu Baishan Cloud Technology for God knows why. Zero reason uh, as to why that's doing it. So in a nutshell, 
it would appear that TikTok has been lying. And it is very easy to see how this could be used as a surveillance app for literally the largest authoritarian surveillance state in the world. Now, TikTok fans and younger generations aren't going to stop using TikTok. They're probably not listening to this radio broadcast. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they're not reading news articles on stuff like this. But I think it's time that we, as the adults in the room, parent for a bit for the sake of our future generations and say no to foreign surveillance apps like TikTok. TikTok. One of the commissioners of the FCC also recently came out demanding that Apple and Google explain why they have not removed TikTok. And quite frankly, yes, I completely agree. And finally, I would like to address one more item here because anytime I post or talk about TikTok, I always get one person out there that will inevitably say, or they just see the headline on the video, you know, screenshot of, well, sure, but Facebook and Google data minus to death as well. So what's the big deal? They're all doing it. No, not like this. And let me break it down for you quickly and explain the core difference here. First things first, Facebook and Google do indeed data mine us, but the big difference is that these are companies based in the United States, which means that we as U.S. citizens have recourse under our law to sue them or legally challenge them. We can submit complaints to the FTC, the SEC, uh, data privacy law standards in California for CCPA or Illinois for BIP, uh, BIPA or New York for SHIELD and on and on and on. We can't do that with TikTok. They're owned by a Chinese-based company. They're incorporated out of this. So while we can slap sanctions, we don't have the same depth of recourse nearly as much as we do as a company that is based in the United States. And Facebook and Google fall under California law and U.S. law as well. Second, Facebook and Google do collect a ton of information on us, but none of their apps have been caught doing the things uh, that the TikTok app is doing, like scanning your network, identifying other devices in your house, all of these kinds of things. And when they have been caught stepping over the line, Apple and Google's Android have pulled Facebook products, for example, from their app stores. If you didn't know, Facebook had a, v, a free VPN app called Anavo that was so egregious in data mining that Apple permanently banned it. They pulled it and said this is violating iPhone users' privacy to the nth degree, and they killed it. So understand that that is basically the, the core key differences here is that while they are doing these things, and Google is no slouch on data mining either, if it's free to you, you're the product. We are literally talking about giving over videos of, of risque and stupid things that children are doing to a foreign surveillance authoritarian state. We don't have that problem with Facebook or Google. And so you're also, for the record, listening to the guy who did a video a few years back called It's Time to Put Mark Zuckerberg in Jail. So please understand that no one here, not Facebook or Google, gets a free pass from me. But this this is different. TikTok takes this to a whole new level, and that should terrify all of us in terms of the privacy violations that app is doing to your phone right now. And with that, you can't say you haven't been told. If you have listened to this from beginning to end and you still want to use the TikTok app, more power to you. But understand the concerns here. Understand that when that 13-year-old kid, your son or daughter, is putting out stupid, stupid things, and we know 13-year-olds are stupid, stupid people. We've all been 13. We know this. When they decide to run for Congress in 20 years, guess who has a copy of that video? 
when they try to run a major corporation or or get some kind of high profile guess who has their damning information guess who's mapped all of this out a foreign government that is currently threatening to invade one of our allies that should terrify all of us and that is your deep dive of the week and thank you so much for tuning in this week it was another fun show and i think we covered a lot of really good stuff and i hope you guys enjoyed it as much as i did it was a really good time and I hope you keep tuning in. Thank you very much for listening to the Deep Dive Radio Show here with Nick Espinoza. And if you have any comments, suggestions, questions, absolutely anything, once again, you can find me on Facebook and Twitter at Nick AESP. Again, that's Nick AESP. And you can always send an email to questions at securityfanatics.com. Don't be shy. I love the feedback. We've been having a great time with the show. And as always, stay safe and stay online, everyone. Thanks for listening.